I want to jump right into what the Lord's been speaking to me about. I'm going to speak one more time on what he pricked my heart with, and that's what this song, this song wasn't planned today based upon my sermon. I love that um, the Lord put it upon their hearts to do the song today, and uh, I didn't even connect the dots as, it, as I don't do many weeks, but God had it ordained. Because he's looking, God is looking for our hearts to burn with him again, isn't he? God is looking for a passion to be inside of us again. And it's so easy to go out, isn't it? It's just one day, as I've said many times. Sunday, you're excited about God. You're excited about the things of God. Tuesday, (laughs) God, where are you? It happens so fast. The world around us, and it's going to get worse, you know, we're going to have to just get closer to the Lord. We're just going to have to get tighter with him. We're going to have to know his word more because the world around us is going to continue. It's not going to stop. We can see in the book of Revelation that this is God's plan. We are called to praise his church and we can hold back judgments and we can pray for mercy and grace on this nation, on this valley in your lives. But ultimately, in the scheme of of his grand plan, The darkness will increase. That's what our word says. God's going to win in the end, but darkness will increase in between and our lights are going to have to shine bright. We have no choice. Otherwise, the word says that even we are capable of being deceived. Even the elect could be deceived from the deceptions that will come in the last days. And you know, I don't know if we're in the last days. Certainly seems like it. Jesus said, you know the season you know, when you look outside and you see the clouds, you can see, you, know, you can see the season. You can look at a tree and you can tell by its leaves or its seeds, etc., of what season it's in. And I believe we know what season we're in. It certainly seems like the last days. And that could be a thousand years. I don't know. But as I've also said many times, your life is ticking, isn't it? Our days are, are, are ticking, whether it's the, the grand plan is coming to a close or just our lives are. And we need to make the most of the time that we have. God is an all-consuming fire, isn't he? That's just who he is. It's his nature. And I've been saying this these last couple of weeks. I want to just say these things again. Um, even Jesus Christ is the S-O-N son, right? But in eternity, there, he becomes the S-U-N, Right? He becomes the sun. There's no need for the sun because of the brightness. And I don't know if we need to be warm. We're a spiritual body. I don't think there's such a thing. But the warmth, the fire of the sun, of, of the sun that's who Jesus is. In fact, even the throne of God, it says it's got flashes of lightning. There's torches of fire around it. This is God's nature, is fire. And the fire of God in the Old Testament, in a, in a very simple form for our simple minds to get, was, was the physical fire upon an altar. But that symbolized the fire of God. It symbolized the offering which we bring, right? It's our part and God's part coming together. And the Bible says that when those came together, when the offering we talked about last week, comes together with the fire we talked about the week before, that when they combine together, it becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It's pleasing to God. And God sees through that offering, sees us clean and pure and holy. 
We know that Jesus actually wrapped that entire process of the physical fire and the physical offering of an animal or whatever it was at that time in the physical altar, and he wrapped it all into himself, and he became all of that at once. And last week we talked about how we actually join with Christ, don't we? Come on, let's all raise our hands today. I'm joined with Christ. We have joined with Christ. We have become one with Him, didn't we? The Bible tells us in multiple places, Colossians 3 being one of them, that we have actually got on the cross. When God looks at you, He actually sees you 2,000 years ago on the cross with Christ. Because it says, I'm not here. You're dead. You're not even alive. The old you is dead. And when He looks at you, He looks at a clean and pure and holy person through your joining with Christ on the cross. And when you say yes to Jesus, you may not know what's happening in the spirit world, but in the spirit, when you say a simple yes out of your heart, spiritually, your nature, your old flesh, who's got an old flesh? Who knows what that means? That's the part of you that wants to do what it wants to do, when it wants to do, and how it wants to do it. Who has that? Anybody? <laughs> Well, that part of you, you know, you, you, we're dragging it around. We're constantly telling that thing, it's not, you, I'm not letting you rule anymore, right? But that part of you got on that cross and the Lord purified that part of you instantaneously. Again, the enemy is going to try to bring that thing back. That's why we don't turn back, right? We stay focused. We, see, we keep following Christ. We don't turn back. Where are we turning back to? To the old man. Am I making any sense so far? So we, it comes together and it becomes this picture of a properly lined up offering. And, you know, we don't understand God. I don't understand why he needed to do what he needed to do, why he needed to have the blood of animals, why that process even needed to happen. But many times when we're wondering why God does what he does, the better question to ask is just, what do you want? Not why. But what is your will? Because it's actually not God who's weird. His word isn't weird. The sacrifices weren't weird. We're weird. God made us, so he's normal. And our minds are, are you know, very civilized and figured out and, and all of those things, right? Those, that part of our mind says, well, that's odd. But it doesn't matter what we think. The Bible says that it's always going to be foolishness. The, whole, the cross of Christ is foolishness, isn't it? But we have to just believe God's word. We have to believe that it was the way God does things is the way he does things. Now, that was a, a, a physical thing that we could see. We could see the animal. We could see the blood. We could see the altar. We could see the fire. But when we fast forward New Testament... Don't think that your flesh is not going to think it's just as weird that you are still presenting an offering. It's, your mind is still going to say, I don't get it. Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't Jesus sum all that up? And what the Word shows us, and we have to know as Christians, is that we are partners. I preached for some weeks uh, on this, the koinonia. We have become a partner with Christ. He is the ultimate sacrifice, but you joined with him. We need to understand that we may not like every part 
about God's word. We, not, we may not like the fact that, that Jesus said that he just did whatever God asked him to do, that he was willing and obedient, and essentially he actually calls himself a slave of God and actually then points to us as being slaves of God. We may not like that. We may not like the terminology. We may not understand. We may not understand why the apostles, all of them, if you read the history, after the Holy Spirit touched them, after Jesus did what he did on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit comes into their lives, and then they go out and be Jesus to the world in that day, we may not like or understand why all of them even physically died. They all physically suffered for the cause of Christ. There's a lot of things we don't understand and we don't like, but we need to just trust in God. We need to trust that God knows what he's doing, that there is a bigger, greater, grander plan. And the spiritual things of God to your mind are weird. Your mind will never, ever compute. Your mind will never, ever understand these things. You need to just trust that God has a plan that he sees spiritually what you can't see in the natural. Is all that making sense? Am I blabbing? <laughs> okay. Okay, so we come to, I'm talking fast because I want to say a few things. So we come to the book of First Peter, chapter 2, verse 5. And it says, and you are living stones... Come on, everybody, say, I am a living stone. And it says that God is building into his spiritual temple. See, we look, a lot of times, uh, Christians, they write off the Old Testament as, as old, as irrelevant. It doesn't really mean anything. We can just read the New Testament. We have Jesus Christ. That's the law. That's the regulations. But there's so much more to that 75% of the Bible than just the rules and regulations that we call law that Jesus did away with. And the reason that Peter, a Jew, is calling us the spiritual temple is because he's referring to what? The physical temple, he's referring then to what the Old Testament pointed to, and I spoke about this last week. Then we, to fully understand what Peter's talking about, let's, we need to understand what the original temple was. If we're the spiritual temple, what was the physical temple? And what's more, he says, you are his holy priest. Well, he's talking about the priest to the physical temple, right? Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. What the Bible's telling us here is that all that's been summed up, Jesus paid the price. He created an opportunity for you. Come on. I want you to say this out loud. Jesus created an opportunity for me to please God. Isn't that an amazing gift that he gave us? Who wants to please God? Now I want to, I don't want to split hairs and talk about fine lines, but I want to talk to you today not about salvation, eternity, inheritance. I want to talk to you about pleasing God. When all of the aspects of God's way and, I, and, and when I'm tedious and I talk really fast and I say a lot of information, and you're like, where is he going with this? I'm getting somewhere, always. I try to, at least. And the point is, 
that the things in God's, God's kingdom need to line up his way. You can't do it your way, right? We can read accounts where they tried to bring a different offering. We can read accounts where someone who wasn't supposed to be around God's things, right? Touching the ark. We can read that there was repercussions. We can read in his word that, <laughs> that even the priest who was allowed to go in, right? Had the bell on his ankle, right? And they tied a rope around him. So that if he dropped dead in the presence of God because there was sin that he wasn't repenting of, that they could grab a hold of him and drag him back out. We don't understand all of these things, but we just need to look at it and say, well, God, you, you, it's your kingdom, it's your way. You, let me tell you something right now, you're not going to change any of it by not liking it and not just submitting to it. But who knows already that in your life as a Christian, that when you submit to God... It's not about our happiness, but your happiest. Who can, who can agree? In the times where you fully submitted to God, even though it wasn't necessarily happy in the world's eyes, you were most fulfilled. You had the most joy. You had the most life in you, the most hope in you, right? The fruit of the Spirit was actually coming out of you because you were doing what he said. You have become a temple of God. You are a temple. Everybody, I am a temple. I am a priest. I am an offering. It's all of it inside of you. That's why Jesus said, if you want to make it, you want to just, you want to keep going. When I leave, if you want to stay as strong as I've been making you, talking to his disciples and now talking to us, he said, and, and depending on your translation, you have the word abide in the more traditional New King James and, and things like that. You have abide. Uh, more modern, we have the word remain. They all mean the same thing. He said, you have to abide in me, remain in me. And when you do that, I will abide, I will remain in you. And what Jesus is talking about is what we can see is what he did, we need to do. And what we do, he's already done. Whatever we do, we're doing it as a joining with Christ. And so he became, he fulfilled, he was a sacrifice, so we're the sacrifice. He became the temple, everything was all in him. He became our holy priest before God, right? Standing between us and God. It is no longer a man, it's straight to the Father through Jesus Christ. But we, it says, 1 Peter, you are. Not just Jesus Christ. You are. You are literally his temple. You are literally his priest. And you are his offering. A place where the offering is pleasing before God. I want to look at a story for the next few minutes. I'm just going to, can we just read a bunch of scripture that I want to make a point? I want you to look at this picture of, in the Old Testament, of Solomon. And if you think about Solomon, Jesus really is a picture of, uh, I'm sorry, rather, David is really the picture of Jesus Christ, right? Even, even David and Jesus, when you're looking in the Old Testament, David's talking of him, uh, uh, prophesying of himself, doesn't even know it, right? And he's talking of Christ, talking about what would come from him, what would come from his seed. And you really have this picture of someone who, who truly submitted 
Now, David was a man. The man side of him made mistakes, didn't he? But the heart of God in him was so pure, as soon as he made the mistake, he was repentant before the Lord, right? He had the heart of God within him, and he paid the price and established a kingdom, right? Saul was establishing his own kingdom. David established God's kingdom. And then David's price was paid for Solomon to come and reap the benefits of what David did. And that's the picture, Old Testament picture of the New Testament, Jesus being David, who paid the price, who paved the way for us to inherit a kingdom. And I wanted you to look at his story. I'm just going to read a bunch. I'm going to try to speed through it. Um, but we'll just look in the beginning here. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 1, 1 says... At Solomon, son of David, he took firm control of his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. You know that God is with you today? Let's just say it out loud. Sometimes you got to tell your mind what your spirit knows. God is with me. And do you know that he has made you very powerful? You may not know that, but you are very powerful because of God. And it says that Solomon called together all the leaders, and he got everybody together. In verse 3, and he led them to the place of worship. In verse uh, 4, David had already moved the ark of God, and, and Solomon's going to be in the process of taking, and he's, he wants to build God a temple, right, coming up. So he goes to the ark, and verse 6, they went and they... And they, they sacrificed, it says, a thousand burnt offerings on it. Solomon's heart was after God, wasn't it? He loved God, didn't he? And it says, verse 7, that that night, because of Solomon's heart, because of God's love for Solomon, when your heart is aligned with God, and you present God what he's pleased with, you bring him what is pleasing, which is what? What's the most pleasing thing you can bring? yourself, your heart. When you bring him yourself, and that's what Solomon was doing here, everything was going to be all about God. And this picture here is God appears to him and he says to him, what do you want? He says, ask and I will give it to you. What's in your heart, Solomon? And Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Verse 9, O Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And he says, give me wisdom. I want wisdom, Lord. If I can ask anything, I want wisdom to lead them properly. He said, because who could possibly govern this great people of yours? The greatest thing we can ask, for God, ask God of as believers and you are all a pastor, priest, prophet, evangelist, teacher, apostle to somebody. All of you. And the greatest thing you could ask for of God to do what he's called you to do is his wisdom, is his heart, his everything that's in him. He wasn't just asking for earthly wisdom, but I want you to lead me so that I can lead properly. And this is an amazing moment. Do you know that God has appeared before us? The moment you said yes to Christ, the Bible says that no one comes unless they're drawn. That means that when you said yes to Christ, that you were already drawn by the Holy Spirit. 
You thought you did it on your own and you did make the choice, but he drew you. And at this very moment, God, he's appeared to Solomon and he's giving him, he says, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you more than that because you didn't ask me for wealth and riches and fame, even death of your enemies. I'm going to give you all of that as well. I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you fame as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. You know, the richest you could ever be is in Jesus Christ because there's an eternal inheritance. There's an inheritance in him, the Bible says, that is kept in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal, where moths cannot destroy, right? Where rust does not destroy. The Bible says that we have riches and wisdom and fame only in Christ. And so that's the picture here. And But this is what happens. So Solomon, he comes out of, of this, this moment with God, and he says, God, i got to build you a temple. The way's been paved. I want to build a temple. Who's the temple? Who's, fast forward, New Testament. I'm going to have you do this last week. It's us. So as we read this story, let's look at ourselves here. Lord, I want to be your temple. Let's make it right. I want to be your temple, Lord. And he said, because, and he said in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5, he says, but this must be a magnificent temple because our God is greater than all other gods. Who can really build him a worthy home? You know, your body, you are not worthy. I had somebody one time ask me about their calling, and he said to me, if you know him, maybe you know, you've heard him say this, but he said, how do I know I'm worthy? If I'm worthy for this, I said, you're not. That was the end of the conversation. We're not. He's made us worthy. You're not, but, he, but, but we, he said, he said, so I am to consider building a temple for him, uh, except he said, I'm going to build it so that the sacrifices can be offered there. I want to do it because uh, I want to serve God. I want to honor him. I truly, I can't really do that fully in the natural, but God, honor this request in my heart. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we see that he did that. He went and he built it, and it says he finished the work on the temple of the Lord. And he brought all the gifts that David had, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and all the, all the different things to go into the temple. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 6, that again, he offers and offering again, and he says that he sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. So far, follow me, is Solomon's heart after God. His heart was to build God, the temple. His heart was, come on, fast forward, we're the church, to be God's temple, and there was, you can't even keep count. I mean, you are giving to God in such a way you're giving to God in such a way that you can't even keep count. You can't even keep count. If you're keeping count of the time you're spending with God, if you're keeping track of your hours, if you're keeping track of what you're giving, we're not, we're not giving enough. Solomon, it says that you couldn't even keep track of what he was giving to God. And, and it's not, this is not a money sermon. It's nothing to do with your money. As I've already pointed out, we're the temple. This is your life. Just give, give it all. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 4 
that Solomon used such great quantities of bronze, in verse 18, that its weight could not be determined. And in verse 21 of chapter 4, the flower decorations, lamps, the tongues, all of purest gold. Solomon cared about God, and he made sure that it was pure, that it was, mag- that it was the best that he could possibly do in the natural. There's only so much we can do naturally, right? We, we are flesh. God is fully aware. It's only by the Spirit of God that we are actually going to do anything for God, but when His Spirit is aligned with our natural, right, this body, this man, this woman here, right here today, right, we can do great things for God. And in Second Chronicles 6, are we okay? I'm just speeding through this. It's all right. Is this boring? You can raise your hand if it is. Second Chronicles 6, verse 41, he says, and he prays and he says, Lord, this is yours. I want this to be your place. Whenever there's an issue and we pray, look down on this place and remember us. And so the Lord, and he says, O Lord, uh, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. And may your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation and may your royal servants rejoice in your goodness. And in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1, I'm getting somewhere, right? We're going through his story. And he finished praying. We read this uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, when he finished praying, the fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. You know, when the Lord takes your offering, when he accepts it, when he burns it, what's that mean? That means that he is pleased. He was pleased with what Solomon had did. He was pleased that Solomon made this temple a place where God could dwell. It was a place where the offering could be offered. It was a place where the fire of God could could be. And God's presence, it says, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. We need his presence in this temple more than anything, don't we? And there is a process. Come on, everybody. I want you to say out loud. There's a process. You cannot skip it. You cannot bypass it. If you want the presence of God in you, and you, let me just say this, you need the presence of God in you. The actual need needs to become a want, but the reality is you need it whether you want it or not. But when you want his presence inside of you, there is a way, right? That's why Jesus said, I am one of many ways. No. I am the only way. God's ways are His ways. His way is the only way. And if you want God's presence in your life and you need it, then you need to be His temple. And if you want to be His temple, then the offering better be right and the fire of God will come and consume it and it will be a sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. And so Solomon, he finishes this temple and he completed everything he wanted to do. And it says in chapter 7, verse 12, that one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, come on, this is what we want the Lord to say to us. I've heard your prayer and I've chosen you. I've heard your prayer. I heard you surrender to me. I heard you come before me and call on my name. 
I heard you say, Jesus, take my life. I want to be your temple, and I want this place to be a place where the, where the presence of God can dwell, that it's a pleasing sacrifice before you. And God says, I heard you, and I've said that this is where I'm going to dwell, in you. And it says in verse 17, that if you faithfully follow me, as David your father did. See, this is the thing. We go from Old Testament to New Testament, but we cannot bypass. Yes, Jesus got rid of the linen and the cotton mixed together stuff, but he did not get rid of being a faithful follower. Who knows that when you came to Christ, we say, well, I'm free from the law, but you can't murder, murder, that's an, I don't know what that is. Oh, I know why, because I was going to say murder your brother. Murder, that's one word. You can't murder your brother just because you're free from the law. And so we can't, buy, we can't look and, and say, well, I'm just going to do things my way. I'm going to worship Jesus my way. I'll just come to him in my way. I'll, be, I'll come to him when it's convenient. I'm going to worship him this way. You worship him that way. God has a way. He has a way. It says, verse 19, right? We have to faithfully follow, and God's going to bless you. He'll be with you. Make a covenant with us. You know that he's made a covenant with you through Jesus Christ, that he will stay with you till the very end, didn't he? He said, stay faithful. Jesus talks to the churches in the book of Revelation. And he says, stay faithful, remain, and I, I'm going to make you victorious, didn't he? He gave us a promise. But it says also, it says also here in Chronicles, it says in verse, 20, verse 19, if your descendants abandon me, come on everybody, let's raise our hands. Let's say, I'm not abandoning my Lord. Right, we're not abandoning him. He says, if they abandon me and disobey the decrees and commands I've given you, he's not even talking about the law. He's just talking about God's way, Right? God has commands and decrees that are not law. It's just his way. And he says, he says in verse 20, he says, I'll uproot the people from this land I've given them and I'll reject this temple. Verse 21, and though this temple is impressive now. Wow. Though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled they will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? Sometimes we look at God, we point our finger at him and say, God. And God's like, God, you. God, what are you saying God for? He said, I have a way. And he promises us, you do it my way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He loves you regardless, right? The blood of Jesus Christ paid a price for you and loved you before you ever said yes. So his love is not the question. But his faithfulness to your life, this is, like I said, I don't want to split hairs here because he is faithful in the sense that until you breathe your last, he's still trying to get you to say yes. But the blessing in your life, the provision in your life, those things will not be there. And it's for your own good that they're not because hopefully it gets you to come back to him. And he said in verse 22, and the answer will be because his people abandoned the Lord. And listen what it says, and they worshiped other gods. 
instead and bowed down to them. You know, we don't worship foreign gods. That's another thing we have to translate from Old Testament to 2017. We do have gods and we do have foreign gods. As believers, they're not named of, you know, gods. They're things like Apple. (laughs) They're things like vacation. Hey, listen, we're about to go on one, so I'm not throwing anybody, you know, but could be these things, sports, trucks, <laughs> hobbies. And what happens is we start giving our heart to those things, right? And we're worshiping. We don't realize that we're worshiping these things. God loves us, doesn't he? Come on, I just want you to say it out loud. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 16, Solomon made sure all the work related to the building of the temple of the Lord was carried out from its foundation to its completion. And it says in verse 18 that Solomon's men... He even built ships. Solomon was so prosperous that he, he had built God's temple and he was so aligned with God. You know, when you align yourself with God, it's not hard for God to take care of you and bless you. It's not hard for him either way, but it's real easy for him. It says that he, Solomon's men brought back to Solomon almost 17 tons of gold. That's a lot. I did the math. It's over a billion dollars. Then Queen of Sheba comes in chapter 9. She sees him in chapter 9, verse 2, and, and it says that Solomon had answers for all her questions. Do you know you have an answer for every question in Jesus Christ? When the temple is built, when your heart's aligned, there's not an answer that cannot be answered in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? You know, there is unlimited wisdom. There's unlimited knowledge. There's unlimited understanding within God inside of us when we're aligned with God. And it says nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 13, I'm wrapping up to get to this point here, that each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. That's 2,000 pounds times 25. And gold is sold by the ounce, $1,200 an ounce. All of the King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold and all his utensils. And it says, they were not made of silver for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships And once every three years, the ships return loaded with gold and silvery ivory apes and peacocks. I guess they had a zoo in his kingdom as well. And Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. Kings, verse 23, from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. When you are the temple of God and the sacrifice is right, your life, 
and the fire is burning on that altar continually. This temple is unstoppable, untouchable. It is wealthier than can even be understood. It is wiser than you. And who knows we need that. And it says even kings from every nation will come. The, the world should be coming to us and saying, what do I need to do? What is it in you? What do you have? But in 1 Kings chapter 11, man, my heart's sinking. Just about, I'm just about to read it. My heart's already sinking reading this verse. It says in 1 Kings 11.1, 1, the King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. Verse two, the Lord had clearly instructed. Come on, I already told you this. The Lord clearly instructs us. We can't bypass his way. It says that he had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them. Now, it sounds awful. This sounds horrible that why women of other nations would be an issue, but we know you know the word, and I'm going to read it. It's not the woman that was the problem. It was the God she was serving. And when you married her, you were marrying her God. It was going to become part of your life, whether you like it or not. And that's the things when we bow down to the gods of this world, to the things of this world, whether you like it or not, or think I can do this or have this, and it's not going to affect me. I can go to this club or go to that bar, and I can be a little bit in the world, but it's not going to touch me. You are walking out of his temple and worshiping and offering sacrifices to another God. And it says, yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. I know it was a little tedious walking through Chronicles, right? But do you see why I, had, I wanted to tell you all of that? I didn't want to paraphrase. I mean, talk about God made a way for him. And, and, G, and David was, is only a human picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus, through the cross, talk about the kingdom that he made for us. The kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom, it's not one with walls where the enemies can come and actually push that wall down. If we stay close to Christ, the walls that God puts around us, the place that he has prepared for you, it cannot be touched. And yet we see here in a, in a physical sense, the, a much smaller picture, a much lower picture of David providing the kingdom to Solomon and Solomon walking in the freedom. Who loves the freedom that Christ has given you? But your freedom is not a license. If you walk in the freedom and enjoy it, God is never going to be not pleased. It's when we walk in his freedom and enjoy his freedom, but then also it says... But then it says that he worshipped, verse 5, he worshipped 
It says that instead of, in verse 4, the rest of verse 4, he was instead of his father who had been completely faithful. Who knows that Jesus was completely faithful to the Lord. But it says that he worshipped Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidonians and Moloch and the detestable god of the Ammonites. And in this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord. Now, that's just how the NLT says it, but I think it says it right. Fully, completely, wholeheartedly. It's a complete following. Because it doesn't say that he also didn't present offerings in the temple. It doesn't say that he stopped. But he tried to do both. He tried to live for God and, and live for this world. Tried to serve both. And what happens is, it says... That on the Mount of Olives, verse 7, that he even built a pagan shrine. See, what happens is that if you are trying to please a person, trying to please yourself, trying to please people around you, trying to please this world, he did these things, it says, for his wives, he, to please them, which took his heart away. There's only one person we need to please. And that's God. It says that he built the shrines and the offerings for them. And in verse 9, the Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Look what it says, who had appeared to him twice. And I read to you those instances on purpose to point out that God appeared to him. God has appeared to you. When, the whole, when you said yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit was already appearing to you. It's appearing to you, calling you into the kingdom. And when we walk away, it's such a mockery against God. God still loves you. He loves you right here. And he still loves Solomon. Who's ever been mad with somebody but still loved them? Right? He still loved him, but he was angry with him. And he said, verse 10, he had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. A few verses later, the Lord actually speaks to the prophet Ahijah in verse 33, and he says, For Solomon has abandoned me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways. We have to follow God's ways. There's no other way. We have to follow his ways. And the point to the story is, is that even with all that God has given you and all the wisdom and all the wealth that he wants to bless you with and all the things that he wants to do for you, if you don't keep your heart right before the Lord continually, fully, completely, every day, don't think that the devil will not we don't marry multiple wives. But don't think he won't put a spiritual wife, right? You guys get my analogy, right? I'm not speaking over anybody's heads, right? Don't think he's not going to put oh, that woman, that thing in front of you that will be, is a door. It's just a thing that's going to get you. You're going to end up bowing down to foreign gods. It says that he has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David, his father, did. 
See, because in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Samuel replied, it says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as a sin as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. It says in Ephesians, I'm going to close with this. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. There's so much you could say about this, right? So much you could say. I could go on forever here. Even though I'm boring, I could still keep going. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, carefully, let's read it out loud. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. We need to be people, I'm not talking about saved or unsaved. I'm not talking about the things you do, the, your reading time, your prayer time, your worship time. I don't even want you to try to figure it out in your mind because your mind's gonna get it wrong. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, it says that he was so wise that no one would ever match him. And in his wisdom, it got to his head. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Somewhere along the way, the spiritual godly wisdom that he gave him got to his head, and in his mind, he thought it was a good idea to worship any God he pleased. But it says, I love this, not everybody's a fan of the, of the Message Bible, but the Message has, I love the way it says, verse 10, it says, figure out what will please God and then do it. We can't just figure out what pleases them, right? And then do it. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're so grateful that you love us. Lord, your word, at the very end, Lord, you have this book, Lord, that's, it's odd, it's, it's curious to us, Lord, but you spoke to your churches in the book of Revelation. And in each of the churches, Lord, you told them, this I'm pleased with and this I'm not. And you did that, Lord, to encourage them, to strengthen them, and to place them, Lord, in a place where the enemy could not pull their hearts away, where he could not destroy them. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. You constantly bring, Lord, an apostolic, prophetic, pastoral teaching word, Lord God, to us on purpose. Lord, you know what you're doing, and you keep speaking to us the word we need to hear to put us in the place we need to be to last, Lord, to remain all the way through. For your word says, he who endures to the end will be saved. And we thank you, Lord, that you're so gracious to us. Lord, you walk with us. You never leave us and you never forsake us, Lord. And you are taking us right to the very end. I pray, Lord, that our hearts are laid before you, Lord. Keep us clean. Keep us pure. And every other God that we have bowed down to, Lord, I pray, Lord, as fast forward in the word, all those shrines and gods, one day, Lord, they did get, they got torn down and destroyed. I pray that in our hearts, Lord, 
that something would rise up in us, Lord, to destroy, to tear down any other thing that we have bowed our knee to except to you. And we thank you, Lord, and we can say this in faith, and Lord, as a promise, that when the offering is right, and when the temple is right, we thank you, Lord, that there is nothing you won't do for us. There is nothing you cannot and will not provide for us. There is no way that you can't make for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.